0: I was about 11 or 12 years old, and my brother was outside, and uh, he was warming up for the big game. And and he's outside, and he's a basketball player, and he's, you know, free throws, three-pointers, and I show up as as the younger brother, the snotty, you know, smart-aleck brother, and and I walk out, and I don't know what got into me, but it just is, I, I was his little brother. I walk out, and I look at my brother, Eric, and I go, Eric, what are you doing? I knew what he's doing, but just went, and he a little annoyed at me. He says, uh, I'm warming up for the big game. And, and literally this flowed right out of my mouth next, and I couldn't help it, and I said, why? You don't really play all that much anyways. Now, what happened next is I kind of expected a little bit of a beating, and so what happened next surprised me is he yelled, Mom! You know, as a manly uh, high school senior would. And he goes in and he totally tattles on me to my mom. That night, I couldn't go see his basketball game. I was grounded. I had to stay home. And when he came back, he walked in. And, and I swear he might have grown two or three inches. And his chest was puffed up. And, and I looked at him and he's like, had the best game of my life tonight. Like, oh, really? Yeah, 23 points. And I said, you're welcome. That's, you're, I, I helped. You're welcome. I am the key to your success. Now, why, why did he play so well in that game? Because he was a man on a mission to prove his snotty younger brother wrong. He was motivated like few times before to show up and to show off. And so as a result, he played with a level of intensi- intensity and intentionality that he hadn't played with before. And, and what he got was a game that he hadn't experienced before. Now, what I hope our time is today, that I don't necessarily get a B. Per se, the, uh, the snotty brother, but I hope I get to be the coach. And I hope that in this time together it will light a fire that you would be a man or a woman on mission. That you wouldn't just go through the motions, but you would see something and you would be caught afresh with what God has called on your life that this year, 2015, would be one where you live with such intentionality and purpose and intensity. And you look back and you go, that was the greatest year of my life because I went all out for God. If you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate this morning. And so to do that, there's two key areas that we have to look at as a community about what we're about. Uh, The first is we have to ask the question, what is the mission of God? And the second is we have to ask, how do we join them on that? What is the mission of God? And then if we use our terminology, how do we live missionally? How do we live on mission? And so if you got your notes, go ahead and open them up. Let's just ask, what is the mission of God? And and our vision statement is really unpacking contextually what is called the great commission in uh, Matthew 28. Verse 19, it says, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, I love this passage so much. We preach it maybe two or three times a year. I'm going to do my best not to stay too long here because we need to go to the next part because it's so important. But let me just um, make a few observations here for those of us who are followers of Jesus. For those of us who say, he's our leader. For those of us who identify and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm someone who's given my life to Jesus. I've invited him into my life and said, you know what? I'm going to follow you. Let me just make one observation for you. It says, therefore, go. And, and then what's, what's it say right there? Make disciples. That word make there is an imperative. It's a command. It's not a good idea. It's not nice advice. It is what we call a missional mandate from God. You want to ask, what is God up to on this planet? What is the mission of God? God is on mission of bringing humanity into right relationship with himself, and his agency is you. You are his plan A, and he didn't have a plan B. Followers of Jesus help people follow Jesus. Jesus. Okay, And it's not just like, wow, that's nice. This isn't like, wow, you know, that's a nice part of it. And when I feel like it, sometimes maybe I'll dive into it and be a part of that. And when it w- works with my schedule and, and when, it, when, it, when I'm available or, you know, maybe those moments... Jesus looked at his disciples. Now, who were his disciples contextually? You remember this? If you remember the context, and sorry, I'm going to get too deep into this. We've got to move on to the next part. He's been on planet Earth after his resurrection 40 days. He's, he's shown up to tons of people. At one point, over 500 eyewitnesses. But he's saying this to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. His disciples who deserted him. His disciples who doubted him. His disciples who denied him. And he looks at that group and says, you're my plan A. And some of you walked in and you don't feel like you could be a part of God's plan. And he looks at you and he says, you are my plan. Because followers of Jesus, the minute you said, I'm going to follow you, I'm giving my life to you, your call on this planet is to help others follow Jesus. What is the mission of God? It's the great commission. That God is actively pursuing humanity. Longing that none shall perish but all experience life in Him, in Jesus. And it is a command, not advice. So, So for those of us in this room that say, hey, we're going to be about following Jesus, then what we have to commit to at the very beginning of 2015 is this. We are going to help those around us follow Jesus. We're going to make disciples. Now the question then is how do you do that? I mean, mean, how do you go about, that. I think that's where we get stuck. How do we live missionally? Okay, thank you very much. I've got that. I've heard that. I've grown up in church, or you've been to awakening for the last couple years. So you've heard, if you've been to awakening the last two years, you've probably heard me teach that passage three times, four times. How? How are we going to be a community that sees an awakening happen? How are we going to be a community that sees your marketplace, your industry changed? How are we going to be a place where your school is radically different because of your presence? We move from the Great Commission then to the Great Commandment. How do we live missionally? We're going to find it in uh, Luke 10, verse 25. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. If not, it's in your notes. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. The gospel writer of Luke notes, he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replies. How do you read it? I love this because Jesus is being tested by a lawyer. He's being confronted. He's being put on the test. And as the master teacher, he flips it. And instead of just stepping in, he says, Let, let's unpack where you're coming from. By the way, that is so powerful with people where instead of just giving answers, we ask questions. It builds such core uh, relationships, and you get to know and hear where they're coming from. And Jesus modeled it, and he says, how do you read it? The teacher or the lawyer says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and Circle that word and real quick for me. And that conjunction right there is not like, uh, yeah, we add this on. It it has this idea that what comes next is is evidenced by the first. Okay, so you can't love God and and then not have this component. If you are loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, then this is the natural byproduct that occurs in your life. It says, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, some of you, I, I'm just going to be blunt because I don't have time not to be blunt. Some of you like to go deep and you really want to get into God's word. And I love that. That's good. I don't, I don't want to knock that down. But your deepness causes a callousness for the people who God died for. And you can't have an either or. You can't be deep and not love those around you well. Jesus would say, It is both and. Amen. By myself. Jesus responds, You have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now, I love the next line it 's a lawyer remember it 's a lawyer. The context is a lawyer, and we have lawyers in our church, so i won 't make a lawyer joke but but but, in our day, we had uh, we have civil you know, they study civil law or criminal law, or I know some patent attorneys, they study patent law. In their day, a lawyer studied Old Testament law, and it was broken up into lots of different components, from ceremonial law to civil law to uh, religious and all the rest there. Uh, and this is a lawyer, and he he's finally got the answer that he's looking for, but then he asked this question, and it's our question that we so often ask as followers of jesus but it stays underneath i'm so glad he asked it because we don't often ask it uh we we live it but we don't want to ask it because it's like well that's not really spiritual i know what i know what the like sunday school answer is i know what i should do but i don't really want to ask it because if i don't ask it then i can ignore it but he asked the question who who is my neighbor Underneath that question is this (laughs) How far do I have to go? Great, I get this loving God part, but loving my neighbor, what is the extent? What is the line? Am I justified? Think about this. Am I justified in how I am currently living? You know, is the way that I'm going about life, this question underneath this question, is the way that I'm currently following Jesus, is it good enough? And so Jesus responds, as he so often does, with a masterful story. It's called the parable of the good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he, circle this word, we'll come back to it, took Pity. It's actually all one word there, took pity on him in the original Greek. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for extra expenses you may have. The question, the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. It's a story that they all would have identified, all would have understood. Uh, The trek from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles, and Jerusalem's on a a mountain, uh, and as you go down to Jericho, it's very rocky and lots of boulders. It's notorious Notorious for bandits hiding out and waiting for the unsuspecting traveler. This was, this was something that was common in their day. And, and as he's telling this story, he's actually telling it in a format that is really common among how, uh, let's just call them the common folk, told stories. Because they would often tell stories where the hero would be one of them. And, and he starts with a, a priest who is the religious, and if we contextualize it for us today, it would be and, and a pastor was walking down the road and saw a man lying there, and he walk crosses over to the other side now we're not sure and told why he crossed over there's you know maybe because it was ceremonial, unclean, maybe he had he was really busy in a hurry we don't know but we see the person who should be walking closest with god who we idolize not and then a levite and be like someone today like a leader at awakening church see someone in need and crosses to the other side and then and then he uses a samaritan And when he says this word, you can just feel and hear the ripple wave through the crowd as he says it, because this came as a shock to everyone who heard it. In fact, it was quite offensive. Because if you don't know, the history is in the ancient day of Israel, when they were taken from Israel to Assyria and to Babylon, the remnant of Israel that was left there after they had been conquered uh, was left there, and they intermarried with the surrounding people and intermixed their religion. And so there was this area called Samaria. Samaria, there you go, uh, where Samaritans live, who were half Jewish and half Gentile, who had intermingled religion, and it was so despised; they were so hated by the Jews that even though they were central, northern part of Israel, to get to the north part of Israel, they'd walk all the way around them. They hated these people, and he takes their Arch enemy, and it makes him the hero. The person who you would least likely expect to help a Jewish person as well. Now, when we're talking about how do we see an awakening? How do we live missional? What is the calling for us as followers of Jesus, those who claim we are going to follow you? You are our master. You are our rabbi. You are our teacher. Jesus unpacks this incredibly powerful story of what it means to love your neighbor. He says, yes, love God fully and then love others. See, to live missionally... It, it, we first see this. It means intentionally loving those along our path. It, it's intentional. It's a choice. It's something that, that you have to do. There were three guys in the story, but only one of them stepped into the hurt and the pain. See, living missionally, means intentionally loving those along our path, regardless of their race. Recently, we've experienced a lot of racial tension in the United States. And the calling of a follower of Jesus is to say, to step into that and bring love and to bring peace and to bring hope and to treat every single human being on the face of the planet with dignity because they're made in the image of God regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, that when you look at someone, you don't look at what they wear, but you look at them and see God has designed them and made them and loves them. Regardless of whether they're gay or bi or straight, and this is an area where the church has failed miserably, and we've been known for what we're against and not what we're for. I, I, I think if Jesus was telling this story to the church today, he would use a pastor and he'd use maybe an elder or a leader, and the hero of the story might be a gay man or a lesbian. And, it would, and to all the conservatives would be like, oh. says you love beyond that. See, see, this is so big, so don't miss this. This is so important. Our culture celebrates tolerance as if it is the highest ideal on the face of the planet. Jesus says this, <laughs> you move way beyond tolerating people to loving them. Let me just give you a definition for love, okay? Love is giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Love is giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Church, if we're going to be the church God calls us to, He has called us as followers of Jesus To help others follow him. And the way we do that is to love people the way he loved us. Period. It's that simple, it's that easy. Intentionally love those along our paths. I've said this before God determines our encounters, but we determine our engagement. Every day you have encounters that could be God moments divine encounters that God has placed in your path. But your choice determines your encounters in those moments. Diagnostic question is, if I moved, would my neighbor's care? Maybe you're in the marketplace, and you need to put in that space if I moved, if I changed jobs, would my coworkers care? Would those who work for me care? Maybe you're on a university campus and you need to put in that blank. If I wasn't in this class, would anyone notice? Would my classmates care? What, what I, if it's just honest confession, I've worked in the church for a little over a decade, full time, pastor. I lived in Willow Glen. I've lived there for a little over seven years. It wasn't until we planted this church that my heart began to break for my neighbors because I was so busy and just caught up in doing what I thought was godly stuff, and yet I wasn't fulfilling his call in my life. And so I began to ask that question. If it moved, if we moved, would my neighbors care? And the honest answer is no. No. No, they wouldn't. And you know why? Because I love my backyard. And I love hanging out in my backyard. And it's safe in my backyard. And I don't have to talk to people in my backyard. And I can watch my kids play in my backyard. And I can come and just do church out there and then go to be and be my own isolated island. And so I felt like as we started and started to ask that question, well, what if we moved, would my neighbors care? And so the simple thing we did, simple thing that we did, is I went to Toys R Us and bought a swing for a tree in our front yard. My kids love swinging on that swing. And what it made us is it moved us from being a backyard family to a front yard family. What it did was now that we started to hang outside, then my neighbors, we'd interact and cross at different points and start to talk. What's so fun about that is as we began to connect and talk more and more, and yeah, I love that God moved the Warrens across the street, and so they're part of our church, and and so it's so fun because now we were like teammates on the street, and so like, we, over the summer especially, we just hang out in the front yard. And, and if I'm like, I see Brian, he's doing the slides right now. Brian will come home from work, and we'll just, like, start talking. And, and I'm not exaggerating. We'll start talking and hanging out front, and like, around the time. And then, like, one of our other neighbors will kind of walk across and go, Hey, what's up? And then another neighbor, another couple guys. In fact, we had one neighbor that, that he would come home from work and feel like he didn't get invited to the party. It was unplanned. And then some of our other neighbors said, we should do this more often. And they threw a party for our neighborhood. And now we're starting to have just different parties that different neighbors are throwing. Our across the street neighbors said this, and it was so powerful to me because I wanted to answer this question. And we rent our home and they're they like, we so wish you could buy this home because we don't want you to move. We so love you guys here. And God's shown up. Living missionally, Loving your neighbor means intentionally loving those along your path. And it moves us from just feeling bad to doing good, by the way. It moves you from feeling bad, and I think that's what our common feeling is. You see stuff, you see problems, you see the hurt and the need in the world, and you feel bad about it. And, and and your heart might even break, but but a lot of times what happens is it stops with just like, oh man, that is terrible. It's such a shame. And you just feel bad. But the call to love people is more than just to feel. It's more than just to think. Love is a verb. It is an action moves you from feeling bad to doing good. Remember, I had you circle that word, took pity, and uh, another translation is, say, compassion. We've talked about this word quite a bit over the last year, studying the Gospel of Mark. It's the, it's the Greek word splagizomai or uh, the root of that is splachna, which means guts or intestines. It's that when this man saw this person, he had a gut-wrenching reaction uh, that it hurt him to his core when he saw this state. And this word, mine is feeling to the point of action. It is never uh, used in a context where you just feel but don't do anything. When you read the Gospels, what you'll find is this word is used solely of Jesus, and Jesus will use it in his parables at times. Uh, Matthew 9 tells it where Jesus is walking through and he looks around the crowd and it says that he took pity or he had compassion on them. His heartbreak. And he says, for they're lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, And you know what his response to the disciples were? Pray then to the Lord that he would send workers into the harvest field. That when God sees, when God looks at San Jose, when God looks at Google or Yahoo or wherever you're at or your campus, when God sees where you're at in your neighborhood, it creates a gut-wrenching reaction and it hurts his heart. And he says, you are my game plan for that. Would it break your heart too? And the reason I think in my own life why I miss this is because I live a hurried, busy life. Hurry is the great enemy of the heart, by the way. And we live in an area that's hurry, that's busy, that's more, that's now. And so as a result, it's so easy to step by because we don't even feel. The question here is, what, what is it that breaks my heart? I mean, what is it? I mean, have you taken time to hurt so deeply that you weep? To hurt so deeply that that you can't stand still any longer? To hurt so deeply that you cry and you pray and you fast and you go, God, I don't know what can be done, but I want to do something about it and I can't stand still and I can't do it all, but I'm going to do something. What is it What is it that breaks your heart? Because living missionally, it it means we love those along our path, but it requires our heart to be engaged. It moves us from just feeling bad to actually doing, 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 doing good. It's not enough to show up here. God will not, this will not be the church that we've intended to be when we just feel inspired or feel motivated. It's what happens on Monday. It's the conversation you have with a coworker. It's when you stop and you ask someone, how are you really, and you actually listen and you don't just move on past the fine. It's so when you take time out to take someone out to, to coffee and you just sit in here and you ask them questions all about their life because you actually genuinely care about them. What is it that breaks your heart? And then finally, living missionally changes the world by changing someone's world. I I think one of our natural defense that we don't step into this is the overwhelming need. And there's no other time in human history where we're more aware of the need in going around and the uh, travesty that's happening. I mean, just think of Paris and what happened in this last week and weeks. And, And it's like that all the time. And it hits us so many times that, that we begin to come, become numb and, and we begin to just push it away and we don't want to think about that. And it's so overwhelming that we feel like we can't do anything. And so as a result, we do nothing. In and of yourselves, you probably can't change the world, but you can change someone's world. You can't do everything, but you can do something. What what if this new year you said, okay, followers of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I've claimed that, but if I'm really honest, I've been asking the question that the lawyer's been asking. Who's my neighbor? Am I living good enough now? I don't really want to be challenged by it. But followers of Jesus help others follow Jesus. That's your call. That's our call. That's our purpose. We exist for those who aren't here yet. What if you began to answer this question, who is the one? Who is the some one in your life? I can't do everything for everyone, but I can do something for someone. And by the way, I'm going to say this pretty strongly. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is not optional. This is called the great what? Help me out. Commandment. Jesus said this, I came not to be served. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Help me out. Serve. And he gave his life for a ransom for many. How dare it that we would live lives above our master? How dare would we assume that we get to choose Comfort When he lived the cold life and died in our place that we might have life. Who's the one? Who's the one? Application then Jesus as he closes this masterful story talking, says this to the lawyer. Which Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The lawyer, not even able to utter the Samaritan's name, he simply says this, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and think about it. Go study more. Go and feel all the feelings that you can feel and and wait until you feel like doings. Wait, wait, wait. What do you say? Go and do likewise. Our vision here is quite simple we long and dream that an awakening would occur. That's something only God can do. Now we'd see this generation awaken to new life in Jesus. The call on your life as a follower of Jesus to step in and say, as I follow him, I'm going to help others follow him and those around me. And how we do that is by loving God fully as explained and expressed to loving those around us. Loving those along your path intentionally. Not just feeling, but doing. Changing someone's world. On your thing, you have this it's a magnet that says simply, Who is my neighbor? Last year we did what we call the three by five challenge, and this is just taking it to maybe the next level or officialness. Is going? Would you put your neighbors? Would would you go to the bare minimum and be able to know every single neighbor's name and be able to write them in? Who are the eight closest neighbors in the marketplace? You are in the marketplace. What if you did this with your coworkers, and you began to put it up? And as you pass by, you would pray for them. As university students, what if you did this with your classroom and you think about your row or your place where you sit and you, you realize, okay, if I wasn't here, would anyone notice? Would there be any impact at all? And you begin to put their names and you begin to get to know their names. Something powerful happens when you know others' names. And you begin to pray for them. Put it up on your fridge. Put it up somewhere where you see them and you just begin to pray for them. And by the way, it helps you remember their names. And in your neighborhood, you can go, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's your apartment. So you go, oh, yeah, yes, 31C, I, that's Betty. And you get to know their name, and then you get to know their story, and you love them. A prayer we've been praying, and it might, you might want to just write it down, as God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? And you just keep these names, whether it's at your home, whether it's with your coworkers, maybe with your classmates, and you've been going to go, they're my neighbor. That story of what Jesus told, that's how I'm supposed to love them. They're my neighbor. What if we all simply loved our neighbors? Think about it. I mean, come on, come on. Just, just dream with me for a second. What if instead of just talking, instead of just feeling, we became a church of action? What if we turn the tide about how people thought about Christians? Because you know what people out there think about Christians? They think about what we're against. And what if they started to understand what we're for? What if we, instead of just went to church, we we were the church everywhere we went? Imagine. Imagine what God would want to do right here with you this year imagine that you're not doing it alone but you're doing it as a community together what if we all simply loved our neighbor you know what I love about Silicon Valley what starts here changes the world What if? What if the way we began to live out our walks with Jesus by loving our neighbors fully and radically and completely started here? And just like Silicon Valley, it just began to change the world. We live in that type of place. It is by no accident that God has planted us here for this reason, for this purpose. You begin to see a movement of God on your uh, tech workplace, changes the world. Best and brightest come here to study, changes the world. That might be a little overwhelming. You may not be able to change the world, but you can this year change someone's world. Will you step into it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your calling on our lives, that you give us a purpose. And so God, I just ask just uh, with courage that you would give each person clarity of what the next step is. I ask that you would give them the wisdom to know what to do with what they've just heard, and then the courage to respond and to obey and to do. Would you make us an action-oriented church, a church resolved to love our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, the way you have loved us. In Jesus' name.